All right, welcome everybody. I'm so glad that you guys are here online and in person. Happy Moth Thursday. Ah, hey, I mean Mother's Day, okay. If you are experiencing the invasion of moths, you know what I'm talking about. Well, it's great to see you guys. My name is Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor here at Arise Church Denver, and we are all about helping people follow Jesus. We want to help you follow Jesus and help you in turn to help others follow Jesus because following Jesus is the path to the fullest life and the only path to eternal life. And we are going to wrap up our Brainwash series today with our fifth and final message. And then next week, we're going to start that new series, which you just saw the video for, Saved Four. And I think it's going to be a really great complement to this series. And if you have missed any of the Brainwash series, you can find that at risedenver.com media. We have audio, video, and transcript of every message every week. You could subscribe so you make sure you don't miss any. Because today, we're going to talk about out of sadness. How do we get out of sadness when that is where we are in our brains? And some of you are like, oh my gosh, on Mother's Day, I thought we were going to have a fun, happy message. Don't worry, we'll get there. But I actually um, have felt in my own life that sometimes Mother's Day is one of the hardest days for a lot of people. It was for us for many years. When we were in Nebraska, Melissa and I struggled through infertility for five years. And I remember every year, I'm the pastor, my wife is like, I have to go to church, right? on Mother's Day, and it was the hardest day sometimes for her just to get up and get to church. And I admired her because she could do it every single time because longing to have this child and not being able to, and everybody else gets celebrated, and she just felt like, why, why me? Why, why do I not have the child that I long for so much? And I don't think it's just people dealing with infertility. There are people who miss their mom. Maybe some moms who miss their children. Or maybe their mom is still around, but the relationship is not the way that you want it to be, or, or the mom with the kid. And for some people, for a lot of people, Mother's Day can actually be a pretty tough day, even for the moms who have their kids with them, and their kids disappoint them every year by the gifts they give them, or lack thereof. Guys, you need to get something on your way home from church today for your wives, right? But Mother's Day can be a difficult day and a day that dredges up a lot of sadness. So whether it's today and that's you, and, and maybe some of you are online right now and you're listening to this because you didn't even want to come in person. Hey, I get it. I love you. God sees you. God loves you. And I'm glad you're still listening because I think this message is going to help you and help all of us. Because whether it's related to Mother's Day or some other thing in our life, we all have this sadness in ourselves. And sometimes it can lead some of us into depression. And when we have those thoughts in our head, whether we say them out loud or not, we begin to tell ourselves, why me? Why would God do this to me? Why would God allow it to happen? Is everything just going to get worse and worse? My life sucks. We have different words that we tell ourselves in these moments, but this whole series has been dealing with the toxic thoughts. So I think those negative thoughts that we give ourselves in our head that just cause us to spiral down into depression is what we need to figure out how to eliminate those thoughts. Because those thoughts turn into words and we speak things that really make our lives even more cynical and down spiraling. Um, there was a little birdie who was flying south for the winter, and he got a late start, so he hid into a snowstorm. And as this little birdie is in the snowstorm, the snow gets worse and worse, turning into sleet, and his whole feathers get icy, and he has to land, and, and he, the, as more snow starts to cover him up, he realizes he's not going to make it. So as this birdie's just thinking, well, this is the end, my life is over, there comes along a cow that poops on him. 
And the bird is like, oh my gosh, could things get any worse? I'm about to die, and now I am in a pile of poop. But then the poop starts to warm up that bird. And the ice starts to melt off his wings, and he starts chirping. Finally, it's about time this bird starts talking. And chirp, chirp, chirp as he gets louder and starts to get out of that poop. And then along comes a cat who eats him. There are three lessons that I want you to learn from this story. Lesson number one, not everyone who poops on you is your enemy. Lesson number two, amen for that. Lesson number two, not everyone who digs you out is your friend. And lesson number three, if you're deep in poop, keep your mouth shut. Okay, there we go. Keep your mouth shut. Because what we want to do is whether it's that voice in our head or it comes out of our mouth... Those words we say in our head and in our mouth, like, they bring us down, don't they? And sometimes lead us into even worse situations. So today's message is to learn how to eliminate the toxic thoughts that come into our head when we are very sad, when we're depressed, when we're down. And that's what this whole series is, to brainwash, because God has called us to a renewing of our minds. And that we are told in, in, in Corinthians that we need to take every thought captive, we don't have to be controlled by our thinking and let it take care of control of us. We instead can take control of our thoughts. And that's what hopefully you've learned through this whole series. This whole series. And I just want to review a little bit before we uh, cover our message for today. In, in week one, we talked about the thoughts of anxiety and, and dealing with that. And in that first week, we learned to, to don't hold it in when you have an anxiety to throw anxiety out. We are supposed to actually cast our anxieties onto God. When we have that, we just take it and say, God, I need you to take care of this. I don't want to be burdened with it, and he will help us. In the second week, uh, Steve Cuss came in, and man, he delivered a great message on dealing with the inner critic and the anxieties that that brings as well. And he taught us that instead of listening to ourselves in those moments, we need to listen to the love of God who speaks a word that we are loved, and it can take us out of that inner critic in week three, we learned about anger, and hopefully, like you, you've learned that in order to get out of it, we have to forgive our way free of anger, and we learned um, just a simple little acronym, four parts, SURF, if you guys remember this, SURF, the first thing that we need to do is S, slow your response, don't immediately do what comes to the top of your head, slow your response, then uncover the offense, you are, remember the gospel that we are loved and forgiven, and then go out to forgive others. And as we begin that cycle, it helps us get out of that anger that controls us. Last week, as we talked about guilt and shame, we learned that we will have those things because we do wrong things. But when we have guilt and shame, we go from guilt to God and then in turn to receive his grace for us. And it gets us out of that cycle of shame and guilt. Today, as we talk about those thoughts of sadness and depression, what I want to teach you guys is that we must sow tears to reap joy. Sow tears to reap joy. You guys with me on this? That there's actually a process to the sadness, and there's something good that can come out of it if we learn the process of sowing our tears to reap joy. So we're going to learn this from Psalm 126. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open with me to one of the Psalms of Ascent, Psalm 126. And if you have your smartphone, you can use the YouVersion Bible app. 
And on the bottom right-hand corner, there's more and then events, and you can find our Rice Church Denver event. See the scriptures, see the, the quotes and the points and everything, and just save those on your phone. But in Psalm 126, we're going to um, see here a, a psalmist just kind of describing this feeling of sadness and, and how we can get out of it. So let's start in verse 1 together. The psalmist writes, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, that's Jerusalem, the capital of God's uh, nation Israel, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. That sounds great. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Even other people are noticing that life is good. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. And yet in verse 4, he begins a prayer. Restore our fortunes, Lord. This is an interesting psalm because it starts out by saying like, oh, remember those times that were so great? There's a bit of nostalgia here, right? We all have moments that we can look back into our lives and we're like, wow, we were happy then. We were laughing, right? We were singing songs and life was good. Man, why can't we go back there? And that's kind of the, the start of this moment. It's like not like things have always been bad. There were some good moments. And we don't know exactly when this was written, but I think the best guess was when God's people who were in exile for 70 years away from God's land, away from Israel, away from the promised land, then they were brought back after 70 years, and they were like, finally, life is good. God restored our fortunes. He brought good stuff to us again. Life is good, right? We can laugh. We can sing again. But as they get there into Israel, they realize everything is destroyed. The walls of Jerusalem are down. The temple has been destroyed. Life was not as good as they thought it would be. So it's almost like this expectation of how good things are going to be, and then they get there, and they're sad again. So I wonder if that's the situation it's writing in, but it can remember back to a good time, and now things are not the way they want, and that's why that prayer from verses 4 to 6 is, Restore our fortunes, Lord. Bring it back. We want something good. What's interesting is that they had this idea, and we often do as well, of what the good times are. That we can laugh, that we can sing, that when we were together, when family was good, oh, those were the, the good years, the golden years. And yet sometimes that makes it harder when things are not that way again, right? It's like, I remember back when things were good, so right now they're not good. And it leads to the equation that I think is pretty accurate if mathematically we could define happiness, and it's this, that happiness equals reality minus expectations. Happiness equals reality minus expectations. See, they thought, we're coming back to Israel, things are going to be good again, but it wasn't. Their expectations were sky high, and because reality didn't match it, their happiness is not there. They're in sadness, right? And the same thing happens for us. When life isn't the way we want it to be, we're not as happy. It's just the reality. Okay, before we started trying to have kids, I was happy every Mother's Day, except when I forgot to give my mom a gift, right? Sorry, mom, I love you, okay? But, but like, it was fine, but once we wanted to have kids, all of a sudden that expectation gets higher. We're like, we're going to have kids, we're young, we're healthy, right? And then we didn't. And therefore, our expectations had grown, and therefore, the reality, though it stayed the same, led us into sadness. You guys tracking with me on this? 
I think we all experience that in our life. The higher our expectations go, if they don't match reality, we don't have the same happiness we long for. And I do think that there is something to learn. Well, maybe we need to manage our expectations a little bit. I think that's a, a true statement because if your expectations go lower, you're actually going to be like, oh, this is pretty good. Like I, I think C.S. Lewis once said, he's like, if you think of this life as a hotel, you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> it's like it's not that comfortable all the time, right? But if you're like, this life is prison and I can't wait to get out, you're going to be like, actually, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> like the food's kind of good here. So sometimes it's just lowering our expectations to reality. Like it, those of you who are married or just uh, engaged, like the honeymoon won't last forever, okay? Let's just lower our expectations a little bit, okay? The closer you live in proximity to people, there's going to be conflict, right? It's just reality. We need to lower our expectations for some things. Like that new job isn't going to be perfect. It's a job, okay? And since the curse came in Genesis 3, work has been toil, okay? There's no way out of it till we get to heaven, okay? We need to lower our expectations in a lot of different areas in our life. Scott Peck, who the... <laughs> I don't even know what to say with that one. That's great. <laughs> lower those expectations. Well, he knew exactly what I was going to say next, because Scott Peck, the great psychiatrist, starts his book with a famous line that says, life is difficult, right? He got it, right? Life is difficult. Scott Peck, the great psychiatrist, he said that most of the, the psychiatric patients he saw, they would not be um, seeing him if they just recognized that life is difficult, if they just knew that. Like, there are hard things in life. It's not going to be perfect all the time, so if you lower expectations. So if you're just like, well, Matt, are you just telling me to be cynical now? I thought that was the opposite of what we're trying to learn, right? That life just sucks, that sometimes you'll get in a big pile of poop. Is that what you're trying to teach me today, Matt? Well, yeah, but sometimes reality sucks, right? It's not just that our expectations are too high, but the reality that we face is pretty poor, Right? So if like, even if my expectations are low and reality is even worse, like that, you're not going to be happy. So what do we do in those situations? I'm glad you asked, because that's what we're talking about today. That's when we need to learn three things. So we got three points today, if you're taking notes. Pretty simple. And the first thing that we need to learn is to cry out to God. Cry out to God. If you think life sucks, if your reality is not what you want, cry out to God. We're supposed to do that. We're called to do that, and that's exactly what the psalmist leads us to do in verse 4. Let's look at all of verse 4 together. We read, Restore our fortunes. Bring back something good for us, Lord, like streams in the Negev. You guys know about the Negev? <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. This is the southern part of Israel, modern day Israel, it's the desert. There is nothing that grows out in that desert. It's what all of you picture when you think of a Middle Eastern desert in your head. There is sand, there are rocks, there is not much life there. But it says like streams in the Negev saying we're in the desert right now, things are not good the way we want them to be and we want streams. Meaning it's going to take something supernatural, it's going to take a lot of rain to make a stream in the desert. 
And this is what we've just experienced over the last week, right? Like, this is good timing for this message. Like, have you guys gone and, and driven by the lake up in Northfield? Like, have you seen that? So those of you who live in Northfield, you know what I'm talking about. That, that the wildlife refuge got flooded out. We were supposed to run a 5K, our family, on Saturday, and got flooded out in Adams County because all the trails got flooded, right? When, when the, the ground has undergone a drought for a while, things have been bad for a while, and the rain comes, it doesn't get soaked in. It just, boom, goes everywhere. All of a sudden, there's a river. There's a waterfall. People are getting sucked out, right? But when you're in the drought, you're like, give me that. I want a flood. I want a river. I want a waterfall in the desert. And it's crying out to God to get that. Restore our fortunes, Lord. And I want to tell you, some of you guys need to take your complaints to God. Take it to God. Like, God, this is not what I want. Give me something better. Go bold. Ask for a waterfall. Ask for a flood. We should cry out to him for the deepest desires of our hearts. Cry out to God is the first step that we must take. What's interesting, this phrase, restore our fortunes, is a phrase that only occurs a few times in the Bible, and one of them very famously in a book called Job. If you know about Job, he had a worse life than any of you put together. Okay, Job's uh, kids all got killed. He lost all of his property. He was very wealthy, so he had high expectations for a good life. Everything got destroyed in natural disasters. Satan came and gave him boils on his skin, so for days on end, he was physically hurt. And as he's grieving, his wife tells him to curse God and die. Like, what a great um, comforter, right? And then his friends start giving him theological lectures. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine anything worse than that. Okay. Like, life was bad for Job for days and days as he cried out to God. But at the very end of this book, there's a turn. In the very last chapter, it says that God restored his fortunes. Same phrase. And God gave him back double what he had before. If he was wealthy before, now he's twice as rich. God provided everything double. And I, I think Job could not have even imagined that in the beginning. But God does that. He gives double beyond even what you ask for. So cry out to God. Restore our fortunes, God. I, I want more. I want blessing, and I don't want to be in the desert anymore. Give me a flood. That's the first thing that you actually should do when you're sad, when you're distraught. You can even tell God you're angry at him. And that kind of leads us to our second point. So first, we need to cry out to God, and the second thing we need to learn to do in our sadness is to cry it out. Okay? Whatever you're feeling, you need to feel it. You need to cry it out. When we cry out to God, we can tell him how angry we are, how sad we are, how frustrated we are. We can say how angry we are at him. This is what I love about the Psalms. Do you realize this? There are dozens of Psalms that are called lamentations, meaning they're sad people being sad. There are a whole bunch of other Psalms called imprecatory Psalms, where people are so mad that they're mad at God and they're mad at other people. Some of them are like, smash those kids on the rocks, okay? That's in the Psalm 139 crying out for their enemies' children to be killed. Because people feel that angry when things aren't going right. I love how honest the Bible is about our human situation. And we need it. We need to learn to cry it out, to actually go through the motions, to feel it, to heal it. You heard that before? To feel it, to heal it. In fact, there's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations. 
And if some of you are like, well, I'm a man, I don't cry. Well, Jesus wept. Greatest man to ever live. So if you're not crying, you're not a man. We all need to learn to cry it out. To, to experience that. To say, I am sad. I am feeling down. And I need to feel the feels, all of them, to cry it out. Verses 5 and 6, look with me. It says, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Sowing with tears, weeping, okay? And I think it's interesting here because the analogy, of course, is farming, which I know you all are familiar with. I learned about farming in Nebraska when I lived there, that yes, you plant the seeds in the spring, Whatever you're trying to grow, you're trying to grow some corn, you plant those seeds, you get out there in the combines, get it all out there, make sure there's fertilizer, and then for months and months, you wait, right? It takes a while, and you have to water, and you have to irrigate, and, and if there's great rain like this, great, but in, in the middle of summer in July, like you need more water, and I think our tears are the water of the seeds. The tears are the seeds, it says, and then we have to keep crying it out for a while, like, we have to feel the emotion. Some researchers have studied different emotions, and most emotions are actually pretty short that we feel. I think fear is the shortest one. On average, it lasts 30 minutes, if you're afraid. Sadness lasts 120 hours on average. That's five days. It's the longest emotion that we feel. That's on average. So if we're going to cry it out, it's not just like one little session, you know, get some Kleenex and you're good. Like, it might be multiple boxes of Kleenex, right? To, to feel the emotion. And if you're not, like, a, a ton of tears necessarily, maybe if you're just more like, oh, there's just some dust in my eye. Like, if that's you, you still need to feel it. To go through that process of realizing this is not what I wanted. My expectations did not match reality, and therefore I am not as happy as I want to be. I need to sow with tears. I need to go out weeping. I need to go out weeping. You know, it's interesting now that I have kids, and if you have a toddler, you know that, like, at first when they're really young, you can kind of distract them when they're sad. But then they get to the point where it's like, nope, there's no distracting anymore. In fact, I've been taught, and I've learned this, that, that kids, it's like when they're in that sad phase, they're in a tunnel. Okay, you can't turn them. They're in the tunnel. They have to go through the tunnel. You guys know what I'm talking about? You have to go through the tunnel to get to the other side. You can't distract them. You just have to let them feel the feels. And sometimes it's like even helpful. Like be like, yeah, that does suck. I'm sorry you didn't get that food that you wanted, right? Like let them feel the sadness because they're sad about it. And I think we're the same way. We're just grown up toddlers. Okay. Some of you throw fits like it. I know. <laughs> we got to go through the tunnel. There's no way around it. And if you try to go around it, it's coming back later, and that's what actually leads us into depression. Because that underlying sadness has never been felt and dealt with. That voice that life is no good and, and things will never get better, it's just sitting there, and you haven't dealt with the thing that you're sad that you've lost. And with the expectations, it might be a person that you've lost. It might be a dog that you've lost, or it might be just a dream you had that you could never achieve. I wanted to get that job. I wanted that promotion. I wanted my career to take off. I wanted to stay married. And when we go through those, we have to go through the tunnel to feel it, 
in order to heal it on the other side. You have to cry it out. You have to cry it out. I saw this on TikTok, so it's got to be true. <laughs> the difference between cows and buffaloes. Have you guys heard this? Cows and buffaloes. So uh, cows and buffaloes, as bovines, can both smell. They can sense when a storm is coming. But cows, when a storm comes, run away. They try to hide, and, and then the storm just actually gets worse and worse for them. Buffaloes, on the other hand, they smell the storm, and they run right into it, right? Straight ahead, just pushing forward into it. And what's interesting is that they can make it a little bit farther and faster. And it's the same thing. Research has actually shown that when we have dealt with a real sadness, a tragedy, even trauma, the way through it is actually through it. You can't avoid it and run away from it like we want to do. Like we turn to alcohol and substances and sex and pornography to distract us and work to just not have, even have to think about it. But the storm is coming whether you want it to or not. It's going to catch up to you. But if you're a buffalo and you run into that storm, you can actually make it through. And the people who can heal from trauma are the ones who actually find a way to go and relive it in their minds, experience the sadness of it, and make it through the other side. Now, this is not an easy thing today to do. It's not. It's one of the hardest things you could do. But if you want to make it to the other side, you've got to be a buffalo because cows get slaughtered and buffaloes run free. In fact, there's even some research on this. POWs in Vietnam, they were the first to kind of catch the attention of some researchers. And at Yale, they, they studied these people because some people who had experienced some of the worst awful conditions in Vietnam in a POW camp came back and they said, I am grateful for those experiences. And they came back stronger and better people. And the researchers are actually like, this isn't post-traumatic stress, this is post-traumatic growth. And it's shown itself again. There were some researchers who studied some of the people that suffered the trauma in the 2004 um, terrorist attacks in Spain. Saw the same thing for those survivors. That they had post-traumatic growth. And they said it's not actually about the incident that occurs in our life. It's how we respond to it. Do we deal with the emotions that we have when life does not come out the way we want it? And what's amazing is that there are actually benefits to sadness. Get this, guys. Not depression. Depression is when we just kind of sit in it forever, never get out of it. But when we are sad and we experience that season of sadness, whether it's a short five-day one or, or a season of grief, there are benefits from psychologists that have studied um, our, our brains. They have found that people who go through those seasons of sadness have better judgment on the other side. They think clearer. They have better memory. They can better uh, remember details. They have more motivation to change their circumstances. And unlike depression, which kind of sucks us inward, going through sadness and feeling it helps us turn outward and become more empathetic, more compassionate, and more generous. See, what's amazing is that when we actually go through those seasons of sadness and cry it out, God uses it so that on the other side, we reap something great. We sow with tears to reap joy, and God uses those hard seasons to make something even more beautiful grow. And that's our third point. Let God sort it out. We cry out to God, we cry it out, and then let God sort it out. 
Because he has a way of taking the most awful things in our life and turning them into something beautiful. To take the worst experiences we have and making us the best people we could ever be if we go through this process. That's what it said in verse 6. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, they're planting their tears, will return with songs of joy. They're singing out loud, carrying sheaves with them. They've gone out into the harvest, collected the sheaves, and they're coming back. Look what has been produced through this. If we don't give up in that process, but make it through to the end as long as it takes, something incredible will happen. Rick Warren says that every trial is a teacher, every storm a school, every experience an education, and every difficulty a development. He has some good alliteration in there, right? It's true that when we go through things, we can become those better people. It can become post-traumatic growth when we allow ourselves to experience it and then let God sort it out because he will sort it out a lot differently than you anticipate or expect. And that's season. I mean, it's months before you can harvest the crop. Sometimes it takes months, years, before we see an end to our sadness or grief. But if we push through it and we let God sort it out, he will do something incredible on the other side. You guys have probably noticed that I have something up here on my table, right? And it's not to teach you how to tithe. Does anybody remember that? The fruit illustration? Nobody remembers. <laughs> Why do I do what I do? But I have some bananas up here. Okay. Who wants to eat these bananas? Like, if I was going to ask you, do you want these bananas? Or do you want these bananas? Who, who wants to eat? Dave? Which, which one do you want? You want one of these? Oh, he's too kind. You want one of the yellow ones, right? Anybody who wants to eat a banana right away, you're going to get a yellow banana. Like, that's pretty obvious, right? But the other day, I had a whole bunch of black, disgusting bananas on my uh, counter, so I threw them out, and Melissa was mad at me. Right? Right? Why? Banana bread. It looks disgusting. It's rotten. It's gone through some stuff, right? And yet, the banana bread that can be made with that is awesome, okay? I think God does something like that with our lives. That we're like, we would probably prefer to take this, but actually, I would prefer banana bread to a banana, right? Maybe I'm not the only one. Maybe some of you are trying to watch your waist, but I'd take the banana bread over a banana any day of the week because it produces something even better than what you can get in its natural state. That's what God does in our lives. When we let him sort it out, as long as it takes, as messy as it is, he produces something even better. That's why the best people I've ever met have gone through difficult periods of sadness. And man, are they stronger on the other side. I'm like, I want to be like that. It's because they've gone through this process to cry out to God, to cry it out, and then to let God sort it out. At the end of The Count of Monte Cristo, which is a great, great book, great novel, it says this line, if we can pull that up from Alexander Dumas. There is neither happiness nor misery in the world. There is only the comparison of one state with another. Nothing more. He who has felt the deepest grief is best able to experience supreme happiness. 
That's what happens on the other side. You sow tears to reap joy, the truest happiness on the other side. About six months ago, I met with a young gal. She's part of our church um, online, so if you're watching, I love you. Thanks for sharing your story with me and with the church. She said I could share it with you all. Um, and she came in because she was angry at God and angry at Christians because 10 years previous, when she was just a senior in high school, her mom got diagnosed with a pretty aggressive form of breast cancer. And it was devastating for her. She had just become a follower of Jesus recently, so she was a new believer. And she was trying to figure out what to do with this, how to deal with her mom. She had, didn't have siblings, and she's like, what am I supposed to do? So she went in to see her teachers at this Christian school and asked them, like, why is it that God allows something like this to happen? And they gave her a theological lecture. Like, well, um, God does this for his glory, so you should glorify God through this. Yeah, okay. And maybe God is just teaching you to lean on him and not on your mom, who you've trusted too much. So she left and pushed away from faith for years. She was angry. She's like, how could I be treated like that? And she's like, if God is like that, I don't even know if I like him. Right? And so 10 years later, she was still hurting from it. And, and as I met with her and, and talked with her, I'm like, you know, they might have said what's true, but that's not what you need to hear in that moment, Right? What you need to hear is that life sucks. Let's cry out to God. I, I, I had given her some of the Psalms and I gave her even more. I'm like, look at these Psalms. Psalm 139, these people are so angry they want to dash somebody's kids on the rocks. They are upset. And, and people can take their anger and upsetness to God and not just be like, okay, God, I'm going to lean on you and worship you right now at the worst moment of my life. Like, it is hard to do that. We have to cry out to God. So she took that and started working on it and journaling. And then about three months later, so this was three months ago, her mom died. And, you know, her mom had actually made quite a recovery from the cancer and they thought she would be okay. And then unexpectedly like that, she was gone. So I, I reached out to her and I was, I was praying for her like crazy because I'm like, man, she just started to see some of her faith restored over the last few months. And like, what, how is she going to handle this? And when we talked on the phone, she said, Matt, I have never cried more in my life. Never. I never knew how awful this grief would be. She said, yet, I am turning to God. Because I know he cries with me. And he's angry with me. And um, it's amazing. I'm like, that's incredible. And, and I just reached out to her this week. I said, hey, could you... Tell me more about this. And she wrote up this really cool thing. So if you're using the YouVersion Bible app, you can actually see what she's written and some of the lessons she learned through her grief. And I was amazed. I'm like, wow, she's turning into an incredible woman that God is shaping her through this. She's still experiencing the grief. And we love you. I'm praying for you. But, but you have to go through that process to make it to the other side. But we've got to push through. We've got to let God take our bananas, and they're rotten, but he's going to make something great out of it. He's making banana bread. As long as it takes, stick with him through it. He will make something good. He'll make something good because he sent his own son to walk among us, to feel what it's like to be human, to suffer, to struggle, to cry. Jesus wept. 
the shortest verse in the entire Bible to, to show us that Jesus experienced grief in the death of his friend Lazarus. He knew what it was like. And even on the night he was to be betrayed by one of his closest friends, it says his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus gets us. He experienced sadness like we do. And yet it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He knew that if when he suffered on the cross, not only would our sins be forgiven, not only would we be given eternal life, but that it would make something powerful happen that out of nothing, out of the blackness of death, God could create the greatest hope of the world, the resurrection. And that power can live in us and bring us through the hardest things in our lives to get us through to something better. That's what Jesus did for you. And when we have a God who loves us that much, we can tell him whatever we want. And he loves us through it. So cry out to God. Cry it out. And then let's let him sort it out. And then we'll have some banana bread. Let's pray. Lord God, some of us come in here even this morning having a hard day. Mother's Day is tough for many people. I know. And I pray that you would comfort them right now in their sadness, in the emotions that they're feeling. For those who are struggling with grief right now, Lord, lift them up. Cry with them. Let them know that you love them deeply, dearly, and that you are building in them something greater. That you're turning them into banana bread. Now, with eyes closed, I want to just tell you that if you have not made Jesus your Lord and Savior, you need to. Because it's for those who believe in him, he works in all things for the good of those who love him. And if you want God to work in your darkest circumstances, in your sadness, in your depression, and bring you out into something better, if you want to sow with tears and reap with joy, you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So I want to give you the opportunity to say a simple prayer, repeating after me to receive that gift of forgiveness, eternal life, and hope. So please repeat after me. And if you're a follower of Jesus, say this prayer out loud to give courage to somebody who needs to pray it for the first time. Please repeat after me. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Save me. Forgive me. In faith, I declare, Jesus is Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me to follow you and find joy for the rest of my life. Now with eyes closed, if you said that prayer for the first time, we wanna celebrate with you and give you a little book to help you in your first steps of faith. So on the count of three, put your hand high in the air. One, two, three. Put your hand in the air if, if you made that decision for the first time. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior today, maybe you're coming back to faith. Put your hand in the air and we'd love to give you one of these books. And Lord Jesus, we, we turn to you because we're, we know that you are the Savior who gets us, who loves us, who came down to weep with us, that you turn rotten bananas into banana breads, you turn graves into gardens. And so we weep with you, we are sad with you, and lift us into the true joy that only comes on the other side of that pain. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.